And we're back with vaccine researcher, family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who joins us each and every Wednesday for a COVID update. Uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, just before we get on to other matters, I got an email from a listener in London who's listening in this afternoon to our conversation about the flu shot and also the efficacy of Pfizer only being six months and wondering, why does the flu shot, I only need one of those, it lasts me yearly, yet uh, Pfizer, the efficacy drops in only a half a year. Do you know what the difference is there? Well, we're keeping a very close eye on what's happening with the Delta variant and the new variants of concern. The numbers are skyrocketing. So we, that's a lot of data. Where do we get the information on influenza? It comes from 100 countries through the World Health Organization. So we take our data from what happens in the Southern Hemisphere, and they're trying to make their best guess. It's like guessing a horse race. And you know what? The case numbers were just so, so low last year. So will we be spot on with the types? We're not even sure because the numbers were that low. You know, that's not at all the case with the Delta variant. When it comes to that, we have tons and tons of data and we can watch vaccine efficacy very carefully. It's not exactly to the minute, but it is pretty exciting. And incidentally, that dropped after just four months, not even six months. It went from 93% vaccine efficacy for Pfizer. Now we're talking about mild to moderate symptomatic disease to 53% efficacy after just four months. So that's, it's not a lot of time, you know, so we have to keep our ear close to the ground. It's exciting that it is still 90% effective six months afterward to prevent hospitalizations. Yeah, that, those are amazing numbers and an amazing result. And is it also the fact when you compare kind of, I don't know, the flu shot or the flu vaccine to the COVID shot, uh, the flu we've been battling, it seems forever, where obviously uh, COVID and the Delta variant is uh, something that we're still learning about and still discovering things. Well, absolutely. But there are really a large, a very large number of combinations of antigens, proteins that the influenza virus can have on its surface. And that's what they're watching carefully for when they decide what are the proteins that should go exactly into that flu shot. So they came up with a, a formulation for this year, but it is based on record low numbers. That's important. Now, you look at what's going on with Delta, and what's so concerning is that, you know, the more cases that the world has in general, every single case represents yet another opportunity for another variant to form. And that's super concerning because we have seen only too well how rapidly the Delta variant spread, how rapidly it took over the can Canadians' numbers. It's terrible. All right. Of course, vaccines, just only one piece of our toolbox, just uh, in the multitude of things in our arsenal to help us uh, stay safe and uh, healthy from a COVID. Uh, one of the other big ones is uh, face masks. And there's a new joint study out, Dr. Gorfinkel, that says that without mask wearing, a two meter physical distancing, which we've heard pretty much since the start of the pandemic, keep two meters, six feet apart that may not be enough to spread or to stop the spread of COVID-19 indoors. Yes, I was reading the study myself, and I have to say, it gave me a sense of warm bunnies. Because here you see, these aren't physicians involved. These are computer data scientists who are taking a look, actually right out of McGill, homegrown. And what did they find? This is a computer simulated cough with the mask versus without. Listen to the data and you tell me. Without the mask, 
it, it only prevents 1%. Like it just goes all over within 30 seconds. One cough and it is the virus is everywhere pretty much. Within that two meters, they can easily measure it. With the mask, it, it, it blocks 70% of airborne particles. It's a tremendous difference. So mask wearing matters. And, and in the study, they didn't even use the most optimal of masks. That's a conversation for another time. But arguably, we should be using N95 masks. It's too bad we all Canadians don't have access to N95 masks just prior to Thanksgiving, because that's one of the key things that we can do to make a difference, at least while we're not eating or singing, I guess. So what does this mean long term or do we know? I mean, if mask wearing, uh, you know, increases our protection by some uh, 70 percent, obviously it's, uh, again, a key tool in our toolbox to keep us uh, safe. But then is mask wearing uh, here to stay, if not for the foreseeable future, for the long term future, do you think? Or do we just not know right now? I think we're going to be seeing it in the long term. You know, I think people are far more likely to wear it when they're sick. I think it has changed the thread of how we think. Um, I'm excited by it because there's no question that played a key role, probably the main role in why we saw record low numbers of influenza last year. I mean, understand, it was, it was, it was a tiny, tiny fraction. I mean, way less than 1% of the usual cases we would see in Canada of influenza. And, you know, and it wasn't because we had a fancy vaccine against influenza. The reason was simply that we were doing mitigation in spades. The mitigation, it works superbly well. You know, so that we, we cannot realize, we can see the Pfizer data, you know, four months later, we're at 53% efficacy. Hey, no wonder we're getting some breakthrough infections, but they are milder. But even with that, the mitigation is a key component that we have to keep up. All right, here with vaccine researcher and family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Dr. Gorfinkel, I teased this before the break, and I think this is a question that's been on a lot of people's minds past couple of weeks, uh, probably, but uh, certainly this week with Thanksgiving fast approaching. The Thanksgiving long weekend is here. Uh, what is the etiquette? Uh, what should, I guess, the rules be when it comes to family gatherings in Thanksgiving this year? Should it be similar to uh, last year, just your own individual uh, household? Or are we okay to be inviting uh, family members? So this is very interesting. The answer to that question actually depends on which province you live in. And that's kind of surprising. Ontario has one of the more lenient recommendations. Here in Ontario, we can have a maximum of 25 in an indoor gathering and up to a whopping 100 in an outdoor gathering. What's interesting, though, is that if you look at Alberta, they're limiting it to 10 people. And Quebec, they're limiting it to 10 people too. So Ontario's being a little more generous that way, probably because our vaccine numbers are good and our case numbers are relatively low. But, but they're also throwing in that mitigation piece. It is critical, if possible, to have the meal outside. I know that's a big ask, but to me, that sparks the appetite just a little bit more, and hopefully the weather will permit. Now, let's say that it doesn't. In that case, it's still better to keep windows and doors open. Again, that's a big ask. What if it's really windy, cold, and blustery? Hopefully, the weather will permit that to happen. Because remember, aerosol spread is definitely a thing with Delta. And what is that? 
these tiny droplets that hang around the air just like cigarette smoke. So the fact of the matter is, if the windows are closed and the doors are closed, we will see a lot more transmission. We will see a big spike in cases of Delta. It is far more transmissible. All right. If you're thinking about an outdoor Thanksgiving on Sunday, I was just looking at the long range forecast, a high of 20 degrees, 30 percent chance of showers. If you're going to do it Saturday, that's not your day to go outdoors. 80 percent chance of uh, rain right now. So that's the uh, long weekend forecast as of uh, right now. And do you anticipate to Dr. Gorfinkel that we might see a spike in COVID numbers two weeks after Thanksgiving? Or do you think that our vaccination rate uh, that is going to protect us from a, a, a spike in uh, caseload or numbers? I think it's a given that we will see a spike. You know, let's face it, we are not at herd immunity yet. Let us not confuse the number of Canadians who are vaccinated who are eligible with all Canadians. So in order to achieve herd immunity, we're talking about 90% of all Canadians. And you know, kids under 12 are 12% of the population, meaning we cannot achieve herd immunity without having vaccinated the kids. So hopefully now that Pfizer has presented data to Health Canada, you know, asking, you know, can, can we give boosters? Well, Health Canada, it's now in their ballpark. They'll have to look at the data and determine, is it safe enough? Is it reasonable to give children a vaccination? And then we'll wait for NASA's guidelines to the provinces and territories, and we'll see what's happening. But Ontario's already setting up the stands to vaccinate kids. All right, and it's a given we will not get there to herd immunity and to that uh, back to normal or a new normal until uh, we have that vaccine for kids? Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a virtual impossibility to do that. I, we cannot rely on immunizations alone. I only wish we could. That's definitely our ticket ultimately out you know, barring any new variants of concern. And this brings us right back to the original question. Why don't, well, why don't we just give booster shots to everybody? Because the truth of the matter is we have a world crisis in vaccination. Low-income countries still have vaccinated less than 2% of their population with even one dose. And I'm talking about healthcare workers. I'm talking about, you know, elderly people who will invariably die from a vaccine preventable disease. You bet. Cause this, no yeah, it's a worldwide problem, obviously, without a doubt. Dr. Gorfinkel, really appreciate the time as always on this uh, Wednesday. Thanks so much. Many thanks. There's Dr. Iris Gorfinkel here on Global News Radio. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.